Hello. Hello. Welcome. To X to the Zennial. So, couple things. So, 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 so grateful. And I know we start every podcast that way, but I mean, <laughs> and it's funny, you and I set a goal after our one year anniversary to like increase our, our followers, um, increase our exposure, mm-hmm. and we fucking did the shit out of it. It's awesome. We're on iTunes. We are on iTunes, which I could give two shits, but I mean, we're, <laughs> I'm also working on getting us on Google Podcasts. I'm working on getting us on iHeartRadio. Um, we are already on Spotify. Like, if you go to Spotify right now, if you're a Spotify user, and you just click in X to the Zennial, you can fucking find all our podcasts. We're right there! And on my website, you can listen to our podcast, so you don't have to have a membership to anything, do anything like that. Like, we have, like, killed the shit out of our goals that we set literally, like, six weeks ago. It's freaking awesome. It's amazing. because we make a decision and we execute. Well, and it's one of those things that you and I are really good at setting goals and following through and getting shit done. Yeah. If I don't have a goal that I'm working towards, I'm just in a state of, like, stasis. Right. Homeostasis, I think is what that's called. I mean, and I think everybody gets kind of complacent or, like, comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also feel like, I mean, if we're on the planet... For as long as we're on the planet, we have the opportunity to fix and change and grow and all this stuff. And do awesome badass shit. (laughs) If that's your goal, to be an awesome badass, then yes. Always Um, my goal. I mean, it's it's interesting because we've talked a lot about how much control or how little control we have over stuff, but we have a lot of control over setting goals in a way that's, like, appropriate, right? Achievable. Maintainable. I think they call them smart goals with the schools. Like, is it measurable? Right. And setting short-term small goals definitely helps with managing that kind of goal-setting behavior. Whereas you're like, oh, I want to fucking, I don't know, be the president of a company. Well, you got to start working for a company first. Right. Or making your own company. Um, But people, I think, get intimidated by goals. And then it creates a lot of... um, it creates a lot of failure. We've talked about right. failure, and that's awesome. A lot of distress. A lot of distress. Self-doubt. It also causes a lot of anxiety. Ooh. So, I think that's what we're talking that about. That is what we're talking about. We've talked about depression and anxiety in the past, um, but one of the things that has kind of been a recurring theme in my recent um, work, um, and certainly in my life, has been anger and anxiety and how those two things are inextricably linked. Say more. So, I think, for me, anxiety is, is like, a normal, right? Like, Mm -hmm. if I, and I have clients rate their anxiety on a 1 to 10 on the regular. So, um, a 1 anxiety, or it's called eustress. So, it's the stress that kind of gets us moving, right? Right. Totally normal to have. Some people, procrastinators, and I used to be one, I'm not one anymore, but... They would, I, I would only uh, be successful in getting things done if I were at that, like, pressure, higher, maybe seven anxiety about, like, getting papers done or getting work done. Yeah. Um, and so what I know to be true is my anxiety is usually at about a four or mm-hmm. five on the regular. I do a lot to maintain that. I exercise on the regular. I sleep. I sleep because I know that sleeping helps my mental health. I communicate with people um, if that's something that works. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
before I would say, even I started my program, which was in 2012 to become a counselor, um, I was at a seven or eight mm -hmm. all the time. Me too. I ended up uh, in grad school, so in 2008, 2009, I, my, I, I was... I'm pretty high strung human. Yeah. I've said this before, so I've always lived with a pretty high level of anxiety, but I had a tipping point in graduate school and started having anxiety attacks and panic attacks yeah. and ended up having to seek out some pharmaceutical intervention to help when I started to feel them coming on. I did a PRN, so like an as needed, uh -huh. but it got so bad. I'd get the panic attacks driving to the campus. Oh my God. Driving to the campus, I'd be on I-25 going 80 miles an hour. Okay, probably 90 because I speed. Yes, I do. <laughs> I own it. Um, and I would just start sweating, and then I'd start breathing. It was all very – I had a lot of physiological indicators of this coming, and yeah. I ended up having to pull over a few times on the interstate, and that's when I was like, you know what? I really need to get some help with this. I need to get this in check. Do you know what your triggers were in driving to campus that created the anxiety? I think it was my, I do now, in reflection I do, it was the environment that I was in in my graduate program. There were a lot of other very highly anxious people and I sure. feed off of energy mm -hmm. that's around and it was getting towards the end and then everybody was getting, in my cohort at least, we're getting very competitive, especially yeah. my little circle that I hung out with, we're getting very competitive, we're getting close to graduation, where are you going to work? I'm going to start treating you like shit because you're now the enemy and we're all going to be fighting for the same jobs. Really? It was gross. It was Well, gross. and you had said um, in another podcast that at, that was about the time that you started recognizing that maybe clinical wasn't for you yeah. or that you weren't sure how you wanted to use your degree. Right. And because everybody was talking about their potential tracks or where they were going to go, yeah. that created a lot of anxiety too. Absolutely. Because not only was I being treated like crap for these future jobs that I'd be competing with them about, but That's I was like, so I don't weird. even want these jobs because I don't even know what I want to do with my life anymore. Right. So yeah, I just had to take a TO time out and get my head on straight and okay. saw a therapist, which is great. We talked about the anxiety, got uh, referred to a psychiatrist, okay. got some medication. I think I used the medication for six months or less because okay. it was just as I was to start feeling those indicators of it coming. It was a sublingual uh -huh. uh, pill, crush it up, put it under my tongue, and it just brought my nervous system down and awesome. then I could use my tools and my techniques and everything yeah. I was learning in therapy to really start to say okay what was the trigger what was causing that what were you thinking about what were the environmental stressors yeah. let's really start to work on that and you know that was a changing point in my anxiety for me is that experience and going through that work in graduate school to really be like I acknowledge that I'm a high anxious person sure. but we got to take this from the daily like eight nine ten we got to take this down to something a lot more manageable that you can right. functionally do for the rest of your life and i think a lot of people can function at like a four or five yeah i mean if you don't have to that would be ideal but yeah. i think anytime it goes above a five so in the past we talked about kind of the two different in the way that i uh, look at and treat anxiety. There's two different types and some people have just one or just the other, but rarely, well, it depends. Usually one leads to the other. So the thought type is the kind that you and I have and we speak about often um, and really kind of looking at that doom train thinking, worst case scenario, right? It's like right. the what ifs 
but like on crack where it's like, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? And you kind of get stuck in that loop, right? Yeah, because you can't, and when you have really bad anxiety, you can't get off that. I call it the merry-go-round. Sure. Like my brain is just like this merry-go-round of the same thought and they're all catastrophic at the same time. Absolutely. So scary. And so, you know, one of the ways to kind of stop that is by fact checking and, and that asshole in yeah. your head gets a lot louder when you're anxious, right? Because mm -hmm. it, it's highlighting all of the negative things um, you know, like, oh, you're, you're a shitty student, you're a terrible human, you suck at life, like all of those things, whatever right. your, the asshole in your head talks about. Right. I know that when you're depressed or anxious, like that sound gets louder. Mm -hmm. And I teach clients often how to turn that sound down with fact checking, mm -hmm. right? Or recognizing, oh, that's just the asshole in my head. What do I know to be true? Right. right? I'm not a terrible person. I am a good student. I don't even want these jobs. Mm -hmm. All of those those tools that you're talking about, sometimes we have to calm that voice down. I know that my brain will not stop working unless I take a sleeping pill. Okay. <clears throat> I encourage uh, people to take whatever works for them. Right. For me, diphenhydramine or Benadryl works the best. Right. Because I can take that, fucking get tired, fall asleep, and my brain turns off. Right. Mine is, if mine is doing this cycle thinking and it's at night and I know I'm going to suffer sleep and then, then the next day it's going to be worse, I have to get up and I have to write it down. Nice. I do my fact check so okay. that I can see it, read it, touch it, feel it, smell it, lick it. But also it. get it out of your body. But I've got to get it out of my body Love because it. my body traps that in and, it, and i got to release it. And yes. that works so, so, so well for me. So I really encourage people if they're, you know, having these struggles, figure out a method that really works. Do you need to release it from your body? Yeah. Do you need to quiet the mind? Some people use meditation, uh -huh. aromatherapy. Yep. A lot, there's a lot of techniques out there that you can utilize. Absolutely. Um, but the other thing is too, what I know to be true is humans who have a lot of high anxiety or their thoughts, their brains kind of keep going, especially adults, a lot of them, and this is true for you too, um, were athletes when they were in school. Yeah. And that actually helps. So what happens in, in the way that I have conceived of or have conceptualized anxiety is normally it's just our brains working faster. It's not even a bad thing necessarily. Right. But our brains work so much faster in processing all the things that I know for you and I know for myself – I problem solve very quickly. Me too, yeah. And I'm great in a fucking crisis. Like, if you tell me the house is on fire, I know 87 things to do. We're going to do them, and it's going to be managed. Right. That's an extreme case, but if somebody comes at me with a problem, whatever the problem is, right. and which is, it's good for my job because I can help them track what they're saying, give them some, some tools, and then help conceptualize it differently right. so that it doesn't live there in that worst case scenario. Perfect. It's really helpful, but when I was not doing what I do now, I did a lot of other jobs, and I would be great in problem solving in the moment, but then I would also carry that with me, and I had a lot of excess energy, mm -hmm. right? What I know to be true is working out, and if you were an athlete before, yep. if you were like, I didn't really have anxiety until I was an adult and I sat around all the time, right? Um, then you need to start moving your body more. Yep. Right? you got to burn that energy out. Yes. That is something that I 
been missing. And I actually went to the gym and did a face mask workout. Nice. Because that's that? a mandate. Um, it wasn't as suffocating as I thought it would be. Okay. But I went last week, um, and I'd been fighting it because I just was not wanting to wear the mask Fair. in the gym. I do hit workouts. I breathe heavy. I was like, yeah. I'm going to suffocate. But last week was a real rough week, and we'll get into that a little bit later. And I yeah. know I needed that release from my body. My body yes. was just, I knew that, I was like, okay, these are the things that I am in control of right yes. now. And that I can take care of. And I know one of my self-care things that I'm missing that's a huge component of my life is that exercise and yeah. releasing that energy. Mm-hmm. I felt like a million bucks after I left the gym. I was like, and the reset has begun. But I even, can start processing again. Absolutely. Even from a like a Chinese medicine, uh, pressure point, energy center yeah. perspective, our bodies are energy. Mm-hmm. And when we store up energy, it doesn't know where else to go, right? Mm-hmm. And so you'll find like people who have anxiety have like a nervous twitch, like their limbs will move. Right, right. Or their hands will move. Or I had a friend who used to move his hands a lot. Yeah. And like now we can talk about the fact that it's, it's anxiety mm-hmm. because when your brain is going, um, that's how it comes out. Yeah. Oftentimes the thought type of anxiety can turn into panic. It manifests in a physiological, um, reaction. And it's so overdrive of your system. Absolutely. And it's weird because it feels like shortness of breath. Yeah. Um, your limbs get tingly yeah. sometimes. Um, your extremities or your core gets hot. Yeah. Um, you will get a headache or your stomach will turn to shit. Like literally you'll just like poop your brains out. Yep. Like all of those things are a physical manifestation of anxiety. A panic attack is the extreme of that situation. Right. Yep. And so I've only had one panic attack, thankfully, knock on wood, my whole life. Mm-hmm. It was after my dad died. I was at work and I literally thought that I was having a heart attack like I was going to die. Yep. I went to the emergency room. I saw a cardiologist. It did not help that I had an eating disorder and probably hadn't had a meal in like mm, two years. Um, oh my goodness. But think about that, right? So right. like my brain was going through a physiological change, trying to wrap my brain around grief. Mm-hmm. Um, I was still trying to like handle the crisis that was my life. Right. Um, in terms of like managing my siblings and helping my mom through grief and and addressing like all the different adult things that were happening right. because I was going through this major change. Yeah. And so I had a pan- like a, so- a single panic attack that felt like a heart attack. The subsequent panic attacks that I've had since then um, have looked like shallowness of breath, mm-hmm. a headache, uh, extreme emotions usually crying, um, all of those things I have had in much lesser, um, extreme situations, Mm -hmm. but I know that if I don't manage my anxiety, I will in fact have a panic attack and I never want to feel like I'm dying again. Nope. That was the worst experience ever. Um, but there are lots of people who will go to the hospital because they think they're having a heart attack yep. when the reality is that their body is telling them they are under too much stress or pressure. Right. It's just the system is under so much duress it doesn't know what to do. So exactly. it goes into that, over- that fight or flight is what yes. is what is kicked in. That's the mechanism in your body. And your body basically thinks like we're about to eat, be eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. Absolutely. Run. And so that's something to consider. 
and we I talk a lot with clients about what is your nervous system telling you right right our parasympathetic nervous system is a place in our brain that exactly like you said is connected to our cerebellum which is our antique brain it is our reptilian brain that tells us the four f's feed fight flee or fuck <laughs> the fourth one's my favorite the fourth one is my favorite too but if we don't listen to that, your brain, especially your antique brain, your old brain, your reptilian brain, only tells your nervous system something bad is happening. Right. Or something sexy is happening. But, which, it creates that same kind of shortness of breath. Like, think about... An orgasm. An orgasm, which is called the petite death, the petite mm-hmm. morbs. Um, your body doesn't know the difference. Your brain does. Right. Sometimes your heart knows and your instinct, your intuition definitely knows. Mm-hmm. I am touching the three parts of my body right she now. She is. Because I, when I talk to clients, I tell them, like, when your head and your heart and your instinct or your intuition, your gut, mm-hmm. are all in line, you don't have anxiety. Right. Rarely do we listen to our instinct, right? right. And we can tell in our stomach, I'm pointing to the chakra, your yellow chakra, your, um, oh, fuck, what's it called? It's getting away from me. But anyway, it's your gut. Okay. Okay? Your gut tells you ahead of time what's happening. Your brain says, shut up, we're not listening to that. And your heart, when you're in love, you also have the same, like, Twitter-pated feelings of, like, shortness of breath. Butterflies in your stomach. Exactly. Exactly. And so, again, it's your reptilian brain. Mm -hmm. It's your nervous system. I used to call it when I was a teenager anxious anticipation Ooh. because, oh my God, when I would see that boy, it was so cute, right? Aww. Like I would get so excited, but also like super nervous. You're like, why do I feel like I'm going to throw up on his shoes? Exactly. And it's, it's basically that part of your brain <clears throat> that tells you something is going to happen. It might be bad. It might be awesome, but it also might be bad. Right. <laughs> what I wanted to talk about today specifically is how anxiety... And anger are these two things that are so connected and it looks like irritability Mm -hmm. or it looks like you're an asshole. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you think back on your reaction or my reaction and also other people's reaction, Mm -hmm. what we know to be true is irritability is probably one of the first signs of anxiety Mm -hmm. that's outward. Yes, I've been a cranky, crabby bitch for like two weeks. And tell me why. And I've been, well, because I got a lot of change going on. Absolutely. So I'm trying to keep my anxiety in check, but you know, I got a lot on my plate. So I'm purchasing a home. I yep. close on Thursday. I so just, exciting. I'm so excited. I know. And, and anxiety can come from things that are happy and Absolutely. positive as well. And but so, change in general, yeah. especially even if you choose it, can be anxiety producing because there's a lot to manage. And there's a lot of unknowns and there's a lot of, okay, now I have to do this and what do I need to do next? And am I dropping the ball? And do I need to get him this paperwork? And when do I set set up my utility? There's a lot of moving pieces that you have to keep track of on top of doing your job and on top of social distancing and on top of this and that and the other and all the things, right? Because life's still going on even though I'm buying a house. Um, so yeah, no, I'm buying a house. I interviewed for a new job on Friday, uh, so this past Friday. So I'm looking at changing jobs. I'm looking at, uh, well, buying this house and getting a roommate for the new house. So lots of changes coming. I just moved my parents 
three weeks ago into their new house, and the whole month leading up to that was packing and getting ready for the move. So I've just had a lot of stuff on my plate, like lots of life stuff, and I've been managing really well. I haven't been doing the gym thing because of the mask, and I already talked about that. So, but I started noticing a few weeks ago just being very irritated. Like, I couldn't get the scanner to work, and it honestly brought on a hell of a lot more emotion than the scanner not working should have. Right. Well, and think about that. The irritability, and it builds over time, right? So, if you don't address it or look at it, um, then, so you're minorly irritable, right? Just kind of like low grade, I'm kind of just irritable. Right. Um, everything is irritating me, right? right. This is a little bothersome. Um, but then like a, a bigger thing will happen, right. right? So like traffic. Right. Or, um, somebody is shitty to you at right. work or the scanner doesn't work. Right. right. Or your order wasn't right when you called in food and you yes. never eat out. And so the one time you're eating out, you're like, oh, it's going to be made. And then all oh, they forgot my shit. Right. Yeah. And then there's a, a minor kind of explosion, right? Right. But if you're not fact-checking that and going, what's going on with me? I'm kind of being an asshole. Right. And I am low-grade an asshole, like, all the time. Not at work, obviously. Right. But I know that if my anxiety starts to kick up, I am more irritable with the people around me or people I love. Right. And I'm going to own this. Um, a lot of clients have, like, can't imagine what that's like. But before I switched jobs and did all the things, I was a fucking mega bitch all the time. Yeah. My family will attest to the fact that I was a cunt 100%. Wow. All the time for any reason. Wow. I hated my job. I hated my life. I hated, period. Um, I just, I was an asshole. Yeah. And it was so bad. Um that I, I was a miserable person to be around. Yeah. And I had friends and I had people and, and I could keep it in check, but I will tell you that the people that suffered most were the people closest to me. Right. I told my mom that one time. I said the people we treat the worst are the people that we love and are closest to us because we know that they'll come back. Theoretically. Theoretically. Right. But I think I said that to her when I was like 16 or 17. Yeah. You know, just pointing that out. Like, Like you you had that awareness. I had that awareness at that age of like, hey, like, you're super nice to your friends and then you're super shitty to your family. And it's because you think that we're always going to be around to put up with your shit. Yep. Well, that's not the case. Because we can divorce people, right? And we can not talk to our family and we can break up with friends and we can Mm -hmm. do, you know, we can change all of these things in our environment. Like, so we can't rely on that... It's family. They're always going to be there. It's my best friend. They're always going to be there. Well, and I think that's a, it's a, it's a myth, first of all, Mm -hmm. that you should put up with shitty behavior, Mm -hmm. um, because people are family or your best friend or whatever. Right. Recognizing your own shitty behavior is a little more challenging. Mm -hmm. I'm super grateful that the people in my life who were dealing with me when I was a fucking mega bitch, um, stuck around. Yeah. Um, but also then having to own that later, um, and sitting down with, with the people I loved and saying, look, I get that I am not the nicest person to be around. I'm working on it. Um, but holding yourself accountable Mm -hmm. to that. Um, I had a conversation with my daughter recently. She was in town and, and just saying like, I own that I was totally a cunt. And I was anxious a lot when she was growing up. Um, and I know that my anger 
and the things that I said definitely contributed to her anxiety, to Mm -hmm. her triggering, to her trauma. And that's a hard thing to say because she's somebody I love most on the planet. But to say that I was a mega bitch and a lot of my anxiety and the asshole in my head contributed to how I raised her. Yeah. Right? Um, the other thing is that she and I are both like mega empaths. Mm-hmm. So I feel everything. And so I, when I talk to clients now, especially if they're super empathic, um, because they're feeling not just the anxiety, their anxiety, but they're feeling their family's anxiety. They're feeling a global anxiety. Mm-hmm. And those of us who really feel that on an energetic wave level have to recognize what is mine and what is someone else's. And be able to parse that out and just yeah. be, be in control of your own person that you can to the best you can yes. using your skills using your information that you're learning from our podcast or from therapy or from wherever you're learning information on to help you regulate that so that relationships aren't permanently damaged, especially ones that you hold near and dear. Absolutely. And recognizing that we are only in control of our choices and our behavior. Sometimes even our reactions are impulsive or react. Obviously they're reactionary, but They're reacting to a stimulus, right? If you can go back later and go, okay, I realized that was my anxiety. I'm going to come back to the table and talk to you about it. I'm going to work on making it better or different. Right. Um, That shows growth. That shows improvement. Right. That shows a willingness to address the issue and say, oh, I just realized because I was listening to this podcast that part of what my overthinking is or all this change that I'm going through or the world being on fire has given me a lot of anxiety and that's making me irritable and I'm being kind of an asshole. Right. Right? Right. And and learning what it, what are your triggers and what are your symptoms? Right. I think a lot of people think anxiety is just what we were describing earlier, which is the sweaty palms, the racing heart, the physical panic type. The physical panic type, but not realizing that there are other ways in which the anxiety is kind of leaking out and how snippy you are with yep. people or the over emotions, you know, whether yeah. they're anger or sadness or even for me, you know, in realizing what I've been going through for the last few weeks, I have had some depression kind of creep in. Absolutely. That's not my norm at no, all. Like not at all. that is far from my norm and there are days that I was just like I just want to lay in bed all day yeah I don't even want to turn the tv on I just want to just lay in bed all day I just want to sleep the next two weeks away it's interesting that you say that because I talk when I talk to clients who have been diagnosed with depression Mm -hmm. I don't take that at face value normally Mm -hmm. what I ask is are you a high-strung human what's going on in your life nine times out of ten even suicidal clients their suicidality is coming from their anxiety, right. which is leading to their depression. Right. And recognizing that it can be immobilizing yeah. when you have so much going on and you feel as though you don't have any control over it. Right. Or you just don't know where to start to start. Yep. That's where I always go. I'm like, okay, well, what do I need to start with first? Because this needs to go away. Yep. And I know I, there are things that I need to do and I can't even right now wrap my mind around where to start. So get a good night of sleep. Yep. Start tomorrow fresh. Write down your list. Yep. Get it out of your body. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. Right. Once I kind of figure out that's what's going on. When I'm like, I'm just not myself. Right. And I think that's a key thing. And you can say that and not know what's going on with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. 
But yeah, I've been pretty persnippity with little, little tiny things that have been going on. I've been causing just this like fucking shit. And it's right? real weird for me. So it's interesting. And I think, um, so today just happens to commemorate, um, we went down to one car family when our daughter went away to college and Bill hated driving. Like he would get so much anxiety. Um, and so he just stopped driving. Right. Which was great because he could take the bus to wherever he was going and whatever. Uh, for me, driving was a, ser- a serious source of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I just stopped taking the freeway. Like, I, I started driving slower. Right. I started driving um, surface roads. And what I also did, especially because I used to be, when I was a mega bitch, um, I would get a lot of road rage, right? And I so I, that's that. where I like to start with clients is to... One, one, acknowledge it, right? Yep. Like, I get so anxious when I'm on the freeway. Right. Um, and so, really kind of saying, like, okay, one of the things that works the best, and it's something to consider, is having empathy for the other drivers, right? Okay. And I, like, in, in a global, we're all one kind of way, I'm like, okay, cool, like, I get it, you're probably having a bad day. But I just assume they all have hemorrhoids or, like, diarrhea. (laughs) Everybody's got to go take a shit. Well, and part of what happens is if somebody is cutting me off or driving erratically or whatever, if I just assume from an empathetic perspective, because I know what it's like to have diarrhea, they all have diarrhea or hemorrhoids. I've never had hemorrhoids, but anyway. um, That gives me a little bit of space between my initial reaction and then my outburst. Right? Yeah. And so anymore, if somebody cuts me off, I wave and smile. You're like, have a happy shit when you get home. Good luck to you, sir. Like, seriously, you probably just have diarrhea, and that feels awesome. And by awesome, I mean awful. Or, like, if somebody isn't paying attention, I'm just like, hi, how's it going? I'm here. (laughs) Don't hit my car, please. Right? I hope you have a great day. And by that, I mean fuck off. Um, (laughs) But I don't get angry anymore. That's awesome. I mean, it, it takes a lot and it used to take a lot more, mm-hmm. but like working from home or like my commute now is literally like seven minutes. So honestly, like having more control over my life, being able to control my schedule, being able to work from home, my anxiety is normally back to a four. That's awesome. It feels amazing. That's awesome. But also it helps me to be less of a bitch. Yeah. Yeah. And I will either shut down or I'll yell at you when I'm a bitch. And that's not helpful. Right. That does not, not help productive. us achieve our goals. Exactly. It's not productive because if you're a bitch and you lash out, then the other person's either going to bitch up or they're going to shut down. Exactly. And then boom, whatever it is, not getting resolved because you yes. have two people that are bitching or one person that's bitching and one person that's shut down. Exactly. And I think that's something to consider also because if, if anxiety is just energy in your body, right? right? That has to come out somewhere. What I also recognize is sometimes bipolar, people who have bi- you know a bipolar diagnosis, they don't have the mania that looks like euphoria or impulsivity or blah, blah, blah. It looks like anxiety. Yeah. And so when we think about paranoid delusions, mm-hmm. people are overthinking things to the point that they are becoming paranoid about things that aren't necessarily happening. Right. Quickly, um, and we have about 15 minutes, I want to talk about the umbrella that is anxiety in the DSM. Okay. 
So uh, the DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual that we use um, as therapists and clinicians to diagnose human beings. It's the Diagnosis Bible. It is. It's a reference. It is a reference, but under the umbrella of anxiety, there's so many things that people aren't necessarily identifying as anxiety, right? Right. So we talked about panic. We talked about um, kind of obsessive thinking. Mm -hmm. um, OCD is under anxiety. Yep. Hoarding is under anxiety. Yes. Um, uh, paranoid delusions under anxiety. Yes. Um, PTSD is under anxiety. Mm -hmm. The reason PTSD is under anxiety is you could have a single traumatic event right. or a lifetime of traumatic events. And obviously PTSD is, is most associated with like war. Yeah, with veterans. Veterans, right. Um, but if you think about what your nervous system goes through, mm -hmm. even to be trained mm -hmm. to be any kind of a law, um, or law enforcement, right? Any kind of a, um, service person. Thank you. Um, I'm talking about first responders. I'm talking about firemen. I'm talking about paramedics. I'm talking about doctors and nurses and anybody who works in a high stress environment. Mm -hmm. Your nervous system then becomes accustomed to that triggering, right. right? And that's not to say that all first responders have PTSD, but they're training their nervous system, their body, mm -hmm. to react appropriately, most of the time, to a stressful event. To being under extreme duress. Absolutely. It's a life or death situation. Every time. Every single time. That being said, what happens is, and I, I describe it this way, is that if you've ever driven like a standard vehicle, mm -hmm. right? Like a stick shift. Um, if you throw it into the wrong gear, the RPMs jump up. Yep. That happens with our nervous system. So if you're, if you function at like a four, which is actually a normal place when you're driving, mm -hmm. and then you throw it into a higher gear or lower gear, your RPMs jump up. Right. Right? With PTSD or with overstressing, your nervous system may jump up to seven, eight, nine, and ten. Right under a normal situation. Right. That being said, what happens with that adrenaline flow is that you are able to acutely address an issue and then it has to come down. Right. So when we talk about shock, even if you're not directly, if anybody has like seen a fire or like has had a car accident right. or anywhere where there's a, an adrenaline response, um, you'll go into what's called shock. Right. Which means that your body just kind of shuts down. Yep. Anytime there's a surge of adrenaline, that's why when you talked about an orgasm, when people have the sex and have the orgasm, they'll shut, they'll fucking fall asleep. Yeah, you got it. Right. Because you have that adrenaline rush. Right. Of like, oh my God, this is so awesome. And then you're like, and eh, now sleepy time. <laughs> right? Now I got to come down from that high. Exactly. That's why fucking is part of your parasympathetic nervous system reaction. Right. Gotta, it's it's got to be regulated within your system or else you're going to be in overdrive all the time. Absolutely. PTSD means you're in overdrive all the time. That's hard. It is hard, but it's also, it makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. So when people have had a traumatic event or have been diagnosed with PTSD, they don't want to be overstimulated. Mm -mm. They don't actually like it or, or they like it too much, right? So yeah. they're like adrenaline junkies. They're, they're like, too addicted the to that only high. way that this works is if I do extreme things, <coughs> right? Yep. So if I 
have extreme sex or jump off a building or go paragliding or whatever. Right. That's the only way I feel normal, quote unquote. Right. And that's not good either. Oh, you're living in a constant state of heightenedness. Yes. That's a lot on your system. Absolutely. You're producing a lot of hormones and chemicals all the time yes. surging through your system. And you'll have big drops. Yeah. And you can't maintain that. Well, and then it's and then you have your extremes. Yes. And then it, you have to find your middle ground. Eventually, you have to learn how to find where that middle ground was. Or... Right. And that's why mindfulness and meditation and yoga and breathing and blah, like all of that stuff works. Right. But it's a conscious effort to seek that out, to be able to manage not just your body or your energy, but to manage your thoughts. Right. Which is hard to do. Mm-hmm. Because thoughts can be like fucking, you know trying to herd cats like that's not I can't get them all in order right <laughs> can't organize the situation absolutely climbing up the walls and so when we think about irritability we recognize that it can either cause that overstimulation of thinking or the shutdown mm-hmm. right and so when I talk to people who have been diagnosed with bipolar um Sometimes that anxiety and all of that, because they, they can't sleep, they have way too much energy, they just have a surge of adrenaline. Right. And way too much energy happening in their body. Right. So they can't really kind of figure out what is happening in a rational way. Mm-hmm. And so they can be really snappish. Yeah. Um, they can be really, like, impulsive and make kind of risky choices or make a lot of purchases. And they're like, oh, fuck, like, I have 87 things coming from Amazon. Where the fuck was my brain? Right. And so it's something to consider, right? And I'm not saying run out and, like, look up WebMD and, like, diagnose yourself. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when you have a surge of adrenaline or too much anxiety or your brain is just not shutting down, that might be a sign. Right. Of something. Right. And like you said, it's a good idea to talk to someone outside of your family and outside of your circle to yep. be like, hey, these things happen. And then that person can be like, okay, well, let's take a look at it and let me give you some tools to manage that. And right. maybe medication would be helpful, but not for everyone. Right. Yeah, and I, I definitely am not a big proponent of the medication. I'm not, you know. But when you need it to learn to just go through the process of learning the coping skills and Absolutely. strategies and strengthen and reinforcing those and learning what you're doing. Because when I had panic attacks... And when I've had them, yeah. like you said, you feel like you're dying. I attribute it to I'm drowning on dry land. I can't catch yeah. my breath. I can't breathe. I can't. Yep. I mean, it's honestly is just sheer terror. I'm in Absolutely. sheer freaking terror. And, and so, that feels that also feels and fuels the adrenaline. Absolutely. So then that's coming up. Those levels are coming up, and yep. it's just it's this cycle that you get on. So as you're learning, you know, if you're someone who is opposed to medication. But, if, you know, be open to the possibility of medical professionals if they're saying, you know, this is just to help. And you can talk to them like I did. I, I said I didn't want a daily medication. I said yeah. this isn't happening every day. I don't want to take something every day. I, you know, I'm very opposed to taking medication into my body in general. And so yeah. then we were able to, to communicate with my professional and say, I want something to use when I feel it coming on so that I can use my strategies that I'm yes. paying a fortune in therapy to learn because I'd rather learn all of these skills than have to take a medication for the rest of my life. Absolutely. And I was just fortunate enough to be with a psychiatrist who was like, I hear you. Okay. Yeah. Do the work. Which is awesome. And I'm glad that that professional, that medical professional was able to hear you Mm -hmm. and like recognize things. I do. And I am a huge 
advocate for THC mm-hmm. because I think that there's so many uses for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love CBD. A little plug for our next podcast. So hopefully our next podcast, we will have a Wagner family on our podcast talking about the CBD and their farms. They're growing and making uh, local CBD here love in New it. Mexico. And they're going to hopefully be on next podcast, if not the following podcast. Okay. And CBD is a non-psychoactive form of the marijuana plant, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have the psychoactive effects. So it doesn't, you know, get you high, Right. but it does work with your nervous system to be able to manage lots of things, namely anxiety, sleep, um, CBD works. It's like fucking, it's amazing. And if you have your card, which I advocate everybody get your fucking card, um, because even though it's decriminalized to a large degree, mm-hmm. um, Having pot in your car and not having a card means that you're going to get a ticket. Yeah. And having large quantities could mean that you could be charged with trafficking. Right. I am not a law enforcement professional. I am just telling you based on experience that I've had or have heard of, it's not a good idea to be having a lot of pot and not have a card. Mm -hmm. And then CBD that is... Not that you can get those at the CBD boutiques. Yeah, and that's that's totally legal. That's totally legal. So there is a huge difference between THC, marijuana, and CBD oils, tinctures, poofers, things of that nature that you can get at the CBD. The little vaporizer poofers. The little poofer with the little CBD poof poof. Poof poof. I've never heard of it called a poofer, but poofer. Noted. <laughs> but yes, you can buy CBD legally. Yes, absolutely. You don't need a card for that. And that can help immensely. Absolutely. And I've used CBD in the past because that is a legal product. I went into the CBD boutique and was like, hi, I kind of have some troubles falling asleep sometimes. Let's sure. talk about this. And they're like, oh, try this. A little few drops under your tongue, about 30 minutes. Do your nighttime ritual. Yep. And I was like, oh, I have one of those. And yeah, it's it's really it's very relaxing. You don't feel high, you don't feel disoriented. If there was an emergency in my home and the house is burning down, I'd totally be able to get out of bed, get the baby, and get out of there. Sure. So yeah, the baby meaning your my sister, ten year old sister. Yeah. Okay. And the dog. Fair. That's <laughs> the also babies. the baby. Okay. Um. So yeah, I we have a few more minutes. Anything else you want to talk about or say on this topic? I think it's just really imperative to just be continually self-monitoring. Like, I didn't know that I was having as much, that I was at a level of anxiety that I was at until I, like, came to full force on Monday morning last week. And I had myself a grand panic attack while having coffee. So I should have been monitoring because I do know all the cognitively right. I know all these changes are happening cognitively these are my choices cognitively I'm happy about all of this sure. this is great my body had another uh, narrative that it was running in there which was the asshole in my head I'll yep. use uh, your term that's like what if the water heater explodes what if you don't get the job what if what if what if what if what if what if there are mice in the house right. what Doom if the roof train, collapses every terrible thing all the things and I was keeping it in check I was like no the roof has been replaced no, I'm great. I did all my budget on my finances. So I'm in combating this, but my body's energy had its own right. trajectory, mission, and path. Your and that, nervous system was like, uh, something bad's going to happen. Exactly. So in my brain, it's like, no, these are all great, positive, amazing things. So I had a, an epic panic attack. Okay. 
And so that's why today I'm saying, you know, talking, we're talking about this too, you know, looking at that irritability because that should have been a huge indicator because I was just very, had been very impatient. I had yep. the day where I just wanted to lay in bed all day. So, but really monitoring yourself, especially if you're going through changes or yes. you have changes coming on the horizon. Even if they're and positive. even if they're positive, you can be feeling these things. And even when your brain is saying one thing, your body's got to catch up and they've got to be on the same field. Yeah. And so just really working on managing that. Yeah. Super important. Super important. Super important. Um, side note, and quickly, um, I didn't know until much, much later um, that my mom had a lot of anxiety. She probably wouldn't even identify it as anxiety. Right. Um, but she's a very high-strung human. Um, and so that led to a lot of her anger. Mm-hmm. I know that today I have a lot more empathy and compassion for where she was coming from. Didn't make it okay that she was also a mega bitch, which is where I learned how to do it. Um, but I am at a place of forgiveness, right? Mm-hmm. And of understanding. Um, my dad also had a lot of anxiety, but his looked like depression or his looked like disconnecting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I come by my anxiety, honestly, both genetically and environmentally. Great. Um, and I know that my daughter also comes by hers Honestly, like Mm -hmm. there is a genetic component. There's also an environmental component. She works on it every day. I work on it every day. Um, I can tell you that meditation is something that is life changing. Mm -hmm. It is not for everyone. And especially if you have an anxious brain, it is difficult to shut that down. But if you can learn to go within yourself, get quiet. I was referring to the yellow chakra of your gut or like right around your diaphragm. It's your solar plexus. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> she got it. But also recognizing that every one of our bodies is energy. Mm-hmm. If we know that our energy is racing too high, our body will react to that energy. If we don't get it out of our body, so through exercise, through meditation, narrative, writing journaling. it down, I love that idea. And I tell clients, especially who have a quick temper, mm-hmm. to write it down. Yes. Get it out of your body. Yes. I did an exercise with a client when I was first, first starting. I was seriously an internship. And what I told him was to take a red pen and write down everything he was feeling, put it in an envelope. And then go back to it, like within a 24-hour period, and he could actually see all the things that were the thoughts that were happening that were creating that irritability or anger. Wow. He was able to manage his reactions and overreactions by doing that one little thing. That's awesome. It's so powerful. It's so powerful to figure out the one tool or the five tools or the 20 tools. Sure. That really help you, but also to the, the, you know, the challenge, yep. challenge you start monitoring and identifying you all the time. Absolutely. Are you just wanting to lay in bed? Are you a little irritable? Are you freaking out in traffic and yep. cussing everybody up and wanting to slam into the car in front of you? Right. What, you know, what's going on there? What does that look like? Right. And so once you can identify, this is what I do when I'm feeling anxious and what are my triggers? What is happening around me? That make me anxious. Right. Because there's so many unhelpful reactions to mm-hmm. anger or to anxiety. And anger is one of the bigger ones. Mm-hmm. If you feel yourself having a short or te- shorter temper. If you feel yourself reacting and being snappish. If mm-hmm. you feel yourself getting hot 
and wanting to, you know, rip somebody's throat out, whatever that looks like, um, then you might be anxious. Right. And what's going on in your life? What are the changes happening? What are the things you feel like you don't have any control over? Right. And then what are the tools that you can use to kind of bring it down? Awesome. All right, guys. That is our podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for checking it out. Thank you for being aware. Thank you for sharing it. Awesome. Um, we will be back in two weeks, and we wish you a good evening. Morning. Day. All the things. Time. Wish you the best. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.